to the news of the day. China's deal with the Solomon Islands. All right, we know about this. It's turned into an election issue across the ditch. The uh, two countries have now signed their landmark security deal. And now the Australian government is being accused of failing to prevent the deal. Scott Morrison's judgment is being questioned in the media after he sent his Pacific minister to the Solomons, rather than his foreign minister, uh, Maurice Payne, to talk the country out of the deal. This is seen, of course, as you know, a, a thing of a lack of honour, a lack of respect towards the Solomons. So I'm joined now by Eric Bagshaw, uh, who is the Sydney Morning Herald's North Asia correspondent. He- hello, Eric. Great to be with you. Was this a mistake, uh, not sending the big guns? I think the Australian government would probably concede that at this point. It looks bad because they did not go all out. The other part of this is perhaps if they knew the deal was already going to be signed, then why risk um, sort of having even bigger egg on their face by sending a foreign minister only to have her fail? Uh, so you send your junior burger in, uh, in Zedza Selger, the Pacific minister, but that's not the tactic that was, for example, taken by New Zealand, who um, sent the foreign minister over there almost straight away and into the Pacific Islands Forum uh, to lobby strongly against it. Likewise, the White House uh, has now sent Kurt Campbell, who is essentially number two uh, to Anthony Blinken, uh, to uh, Honiara. Uh, but it appears to be too little, too late at this point. So what Scott Morrison came out and said, though, is that if we sent Maurice Payne, the foreign minister, it would have been viewed as not being diplomatic. Do you accept that? I think that somewhat underestimates, you know, the Pacific Islands um, sort of foreign policy maturity. I mean, why would they take offence to a foreign minister getting on a plane and, and pleading their case? It's There is this legacy there of Australia and perhaps New Zealand to an extent um, pushing their way around the Pacific. But there is also a really pressing and urgent security deal on the cards here that potentially remakes some of the regional the security in the entire region. But certainly this is, this is the accusation that the chickens came home to roost, that New Zealand and Australia have never taken the Pacific Islands seriously. One of the accusations made today is that Australia has always ignored the Pacific Islands' concerns about climate change and the possibility of their islands being swamped, and they do not respect uh, the Pacific Islands' sovereignty. So that, that, that is the mistake. That, is, that, that would be fair to say, would it not? Well, I mean, you look at another data point, Australia spent $9 billion um, sending Australia's refugees to the Pacific and putting them on Mammoth in Nauru, and then um, sort of turns around and, and says, well, um, we, we don't want you to, to sign security agreements. It's probably fair to say there's a double standard there at some degree uh, that Australia engages when it's convenient, uh, that it might not uh, respect some of those Pacific Island concerns, particularly on clim- climate change. There was a you know a series of Australian ministers uh, joking about the impact of climate change at one stage on the Pacific Islands. Mm. So there definitely is a legacy there. To be fair to the Australian government, they have done, um, I think, in the last three or four years, there has been a bit of a wake-up call. They are engaging more thoroughly. They instituted a Pacific step-up. They spent hundreds of millions of dollars on the policy but curiously, that policy really only came to the fore when China became a threat. Mm. And once that 
um, threat became apparent. You have all these projects like the undersea cable um, from Australia to PNG to pr provide um, internet connectivity. That project is as much about PNG having good internet as it is about making sure that China is not providing that internet. So you've got to question how altruistic some of these policy decisions have been. Well, look, you've mentioned China a bit and you're usually based in China. So what is China's game plan with deals like this? I heard some reporters saying, well, now they're going to build a military base in the Solomons, but the, the first they have to prove that there's some sort of threat and bring in the police first and all that sort of thing. What do you think China's game plan is here? I think this is the, well, this is certainly the first big agreement where China will have the power to use some level of force to protect its own investments. And you know, there is also from Beijing a genuine concern that you are spending all of these billions of dollars on things like the Belt and Road Initiative. And in the case of the Solomons, you would have um, looting, anti-government protests, some of that infrastructure being burned uh, and attacked, and China wanted to be able to protect those investments. But again, seeing China through the lens of just being an altruistic um, superpower who only wants to pr provide infrastructure development, I think is, is probably pretty myopic because China also has its own security interests at heart. It wants to make sure it has protection of the shipping lanes into the South China Sea, uh, and that if it were, once it becomes a really serious military threat to the United States, let's say if it wanted to also take Taiwan, that it had places in which it could manage those kinds of military offensive. And China thinks in 20, 30, 40 year timeframes, yeah. this is the kind of deal that sets the ground for something like that. But it is very early days. Uh, it's certainly not just out of the goodness of its heart that China um, wants to do this. It is, you know, tactically very savvy, and I think that's probably why there is so much concern from everywhere, from Washington to Wellington to Canberra, about this deal. I think everybody's been warning us since the 13th century that, of course, they ch play a very long game in China. So there we go. It's now become an election issue in Australia, but is it a bit beltway? Uh, is, is is the general public in Australia actually concerned about this stuff? Look, I think this has cut through, and that's an interesting point because, unfortunately, I think Pacific Islands, for example, do not get near, anywhere near enough attention in the Australian election cycle as they should, but this particular deal has, and, and that is because China does loom large over um, Australian election campaigns, particularly the last two. The Australian government, uh, the Morrison government, rather, really wanted to make this into national security into a major issue. Um, coalition conservative governments have historically done that on the in the past with refugees, with uh, terrorism. They go hard on national security issues and say, we are the right government to protect Australians. You can't trust Labor. That's probably hit them in the face this time because in the middle of an election campaign, you have what can only be described as a foreign policy failure, I think, reasonably inside an election that they wanted to be about national security, that they wanted to show they were tough on China and protecting Australia's interests. And yet you have this, and that is a free kick to Labor as far as it's concerned. Uh, and that is why they're going very, very hard indeed on this, despite for months really offering a more bipartisan view on national security and trying to sort of neutralise the issue. Well, Eric, you've been a great listen, and it is a fascinating time, and I thank you so much. Eric Bragshaw, who is North Asia correspondent for the Sydney Morning Herald.